0: I invite you down the rabbit hole. Come with your opinions, come with your doubts, but above all, come with curiosity, for this is an idea to which someone has dedicated their life. I'm your host, Pepper. Welcome to Inspector Rabbit. <laughs> were built. What about Stonehenge? How did these ancient civilizations have the technology to create such huge structures with such precision? What tools did they use? What technology did they use and where did they get it? Well, I might have some answers for you. On today's episode, I spoke to Grant. Grant is a lovely chap from Canada. He is first and foremost a scientist and studied physics at university. I really enjoyed my conversation with Grant, he has a knack for articulating complex subjects matter in a way that is really easy to understand. So if you don't know what moving megaliths is about, and you've never heard of a one-inductor drive or space propulsion, then stay tuned, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. We also talked about levitation, different electromagnetic fields, and Nikola Tesla's experiments, and how it could potentially revolutionise the way that we use electricity today. Uh, You know, if the capitalists would just get out of the way. I think you're going to love this episode, so without further ado, let's go down the rabbit hole with Grant. Okay, just me, starting Skype call, and ready, set, go hello hi grant how are you good Good. how are you yeah good thanks for coming on the show i realize it's after work on a friday for you so (laughs) Uh,
1: no problem i'm glad to be here
0: can you please tell me a little bit about yourself and why you felt compelled to dedicate part of your life to discovering these new concepts and technology
1: so i um Definitely consider this my life work. I consider myself a scientist, and I don't consider myself a scientist in the sense that a lot of people think of scientists with the lab coat and going to school and working in a thing. I consider myself a scientist because I'm interested in how the universe works. I'm interested in my life and how I tie into everything. And, you know, I wanted to know what really makes everything tick. What, what is actually the whole kind of purpose, meaning of life? All those sort of big questions. I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, where did you get my contact information?
0: Uh, I got it from your website.
1: Oh, okay. So you just were perusing the web and came across my site and uh,
0: yeah, contacted yeah. me? Yeah, that's oh, that's, that's it. I was yeah. It was really it wasn't easy to find your website. I mean, it's not in the top few hits of Google, but that's what I was looking for. I find that, you know, when once you go down different search engines and um, different ways, like you, that's when you get the more you, you get the content with the depth. I, I was looking into different technologies and extraterrestrial type um, technologies, or t- I was also looking into a story I heard years ago, which was about how they've invented uh, a rubber that doesn't really wear down on car tires, and there was a company apparently that paid millions, perhaps billions of dollars to um, patent that technology and then not put it on the market. I can't remember which tire company, but it was a story I heard years ago, and I was kind of going down the route of, well, there's, there's going to be so much more technology out there that we don't know about or understand, and I was looking for someone exactly like yourself um, yeah, yeah,
1: what you're describing it happens more often than you might think, I, I would yeah, say. Yeah, like, yeah.
0: And, and that's what I'm really interested in, these technologies that are out there that you're going to describe, and I'm really looking forward to it as well because I, I, I'm I not a scientist, I'm not technically minded, um, but I'm just so interested in these types of technology and I'm hoping that today you can explain it in a way that um, people here are curious but don't have... Um, you know your kind of mind can understand. I really I'm glad you
1: say that. Yeah, you know it's interesting that you're telling me this because my website is very hard to find. I've yeah. actually blocked probably half the world's IP addresses. Oh wow! So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I don't think that people kind of stumble across it by just by chance. I, I actually don't get a lot of contacts, Okay. but the people that do contact me about my website are always very interesting people. Cool. So, yeah, yeah so for me, uh, yeah, the, the, everything happens for a reason, right?
0: Yeah, so I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm
1: glad, yeah, I'm glad to uh, be able to maybe uh, give you some information. I have a, a very strong desire to know everything I can about the world that I live in. I uh, have a lot of, have had a lot of questions and I've read a lot of books. I've explored uh, various different fields. I have a very broad scope. Uh, And so um, my goal in life has kind of been to just understand the world uh, in which I live and what it means to be alive. So I kind of undertook this quest to uh, answer these big questions in life. So my website uh, was originally put online uh, more as an outlet for me. Uh, I was attempting to organize uh, my thoughts and uh, the documents that I've collected. And I was also curious at the time uh, if there was like-minded people and uh, if people had an interest like I did in these kind of subjects. Uh, So I put my website online to kind of meet these real people out there, these people that are that are sincere and curious like I am and want to know more about the world that they live in.
0: I'd like to talk about the one inductor drives, advanced technology, and a whole range of things. First, let's begin with moving megaliths. I understand this is something you're deeply involved with. Please tell me, what is it? How does it work?
1: Sure. So I have had an interest in this because it is one of these great mysteries that everyone talks about. Everyone has various theories about how they've moved these giant stones. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've investigated this and, uh, you know, seen these imageries, it's actually uh, on my bucket list to actually visit some of these sites in person. I haven't had the opportunity to do that. Mm. But, uh, it, it, it's an interesting question. We, we, we clearly see that there's uh, massive stones that have uh, been used to construct uh, temples and buildings all over the world, and uh, they're still not quite sure. We have various theories. I, I know there's a fellow that says you can move them by pivots, and uh, there's the whole uh, roll them on logs and pull them with slaves uh, idea. But it appears to me that the, the sheer quantity of these works From the past and the scale of these projects seems to indicate there's there's something that we don't know there's some other technology or some other process involved that they that they used to move these rocks so uh yeah so this is a is a mystery and so over the years um um i I come from a A physics background. So as a scientist, of course, I went into the science and I I focused on physics. I had ideas of being a physics professor and all that. So I I do have a very uh, technical background. And so I, I applied that background to these questions of of this, these movements of stone. And there's there's very various principles that seem to come into play. Probably the most interesting is that it, it seems like in our society we we are very focused on uh, our current level of technology and quite proud of it. So we have a very advanced, uh, I would say, a, a, a electrical infrastructure uh, based on electricity and magnetism and and chemistry, and uh, we've developed computers and uh, you know refined the autom- automobile to a very high degree and jet engines and rockets and so on. And so our current civilization is, is based on these technologies that we understand, based on a certain specific part of science, I would say. And I think what people sometimes overlook is that how we live as a civilization and, and what we consider advanced may not be the only way for a civilization to become advanced. There may be different technologies and different fields of science that, when pursued to a high degree over hundreds of years, lead to a different style of civilization. You know, something that we may not understand today, even with our, you know, high advancement. You know, so may, maybe these civilizations they didn't perfect the microchip and the internal combustion engine. But they had other technologies that they perfected in a way that we we still don't have. We we have not perfected those certain fields to the same extent that these ancient civilizations did. Um, something that I tend to think is as we look back on ancient societies, as if the further back in time you look, the lower intelligence you go, and, mm. and I. Don't think this is accurate. I, I think an ancient civilization they had very similar drives and high degree of intelligence uh, in the fields that they knew uh, using the methods that they were taught and the, the schooling or the systems that they that they were brought up in. So mm. so to go back and say oh like uh, an ancient civilization they had to use hammers and chisels to carve these stones and stuff like that. It, it is, it's coming from a bit of a of an arrogant perspective that our civilization is better than their civilization, or it's mm. a, we are more advanced than they were. But you can't really compare it like that. I think this is more of an, of the old apples and oranges comparison. Uh, I, I think if someone from that time maybe was in our time, uh, they would be amazed for sure, uh, but also, wonder why why we neglected a lot of fields and why we didn't understand certain things just like you know we might they we might question their medicine or uh, or their writing and uh, you know and things like this yeah yeah so there's definitely two ways to to look at this
0: and i i'm guessing you're talking about um huge stones such as the pyramids or stonehenge what other areas or what other sites
1: so some things that are really interesting to me is um, there's some very famous uh, rock churches. I believe there's one in Ethiopia. Uh, there's one in India. And uh, what's interesting about these locations is that they've essentially carved these ch- churches uh, out of stone. So they, they've come across a large outcropping of stone and they basically uh, carved the stone out so as to form a church within inside, with, inside the stone. And uh, they've done calculations that the amount of stone uh, removed uh, re- would just re- require tons and tons of stone removed, removed every day. Uh, so these are interesting things where they've, where they've just like cut right into the rock. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a large stone in, um, uh, I believe it's called Baalbek. Forgive my pronunciations. I do more reading than speaking. Um, Um, these stones are estimated to weigh uh, 1200 tons Um, these are absolutely massive Um, you know even with modern cranes and diesel engines uh, we would have to exert a huge amount of effort to move these and they simply didn't have this technology they did not have cranes they did not have diesel engines Uh, so the question really remains like how did they move these like uh, just the sheer number of people required to like pull this with ropes is just it's yeah. it's un- unfeasible yeah
0: absolutely so what methods do you think that these ancient civilizations were using or perhaps more advanced civilizations
1: um so uh, there's a lot of theories and i can't say that i know the answer but w- what i can say is what it appears to me is they had a technique that actually made working with stone easy uh it made it easy to carve it, it made it easy to move so that for them stone was actually the preferred building material it was easier for them to go uh, find an outcropping of rock and cut these stones out and uh, assemble them into a building or something like that um i i really disagree with the the modern archaeologists that say they they spent years and years uh constructing these and uh in fact when you look at some of the myths and stories surrounding these sites uh i just heard one the other day uh of how this uh uh pyramid or temple in mexico um the myth surrounding is is that uh, the society at the time challenged this wizard or this this person that uh to prove his powers and uh he built this pyramid in a uh, in 24 hours wow. and uh yeah, and there's uh, similar similar stories like this all over the world. That these these constructions they weren't labor intensive. They they weren't time consuming. They were done quickly uh, and basically easily. So this again points to uh, some sort of technology or method that we we are just not aware of. Um, yeah,
0: it certainly does. Yeah, so yeah. There,
1: there is a story, and I'll, I'll tell this. I don't know if many have heard this. Uh, so this, this story comes from a book uh, called The Case for the UFO. Now, uh, I, I'll go into some depth here. It's a, a very... Uh, <laughs> go for it. That's
0: what we're all about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, The Case for the UFO, uh, it first comes up in a book called The Philadelphia Experiment. And the Philadelphia experiment is a supposed experiment that happened uh, in the United States uh, where they caused a ship to uh, go invisible and actually like uh, dematerialize. Uh, it's a absolutely uh, remarkable uh, story. It, it, it reads like science fiction beyond your wildest imagination. And now... The reason I know of this is, uh, like I said, I was I was open to all ideas uh, in investigating this kind of science, and uh, what struck me is apparently uh, Albert Einstein uh, was involved in this, and the the concept of the experiment was uh, based on uh, his ideas of a uh, unified field theory, which uh, came as a uh, uh, um, an addition or I. I uh, can't think of the right word right now, but it was an an addition. It came from relativity. Uh, relativity was one part of Einstein's work, and it led to this uh, larger larger theory, uh, the unified field theory, which was basically uh, a, a theory that was galactic, molecular in scope. And so, I'm I'm probably getting a little bit technical here. Um,
0: that's okay. Can it's, you just explain explain what galacula- uh, sorry. <laughs> galactic? Sorry, galactic molecular. molecular. Yeah, yeah.
1: So the, the concept of a unified field theory, and I did want to touch on this.
2: Yeah.
1: Is that is that a unified field theory? Basically, unified being uni mean in one, and field being a, 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 some sort of a field or force or or property in nature. So the concept of unified field theory is there's one field, it's one force or one field that predominates in the universe, and all the complexity and everything else that comes down from that uh, is is a is a various um, what would you call it um, connotations of this of this one field. So it breaks into different forms and. Uh, basically a simple process and simple rules uh, lead to very complex universe that we see around us and and so einstein basically that that the concept of his unified field theory is he as he summarized the function of our universe in 16 equations and that's all that was required to describe everything and this this is interesting because he's Uh, a field of this scope, it doesn't just apply to physics. It applies to chemistry. It applies to biology. Uh, It applies to, you know, atoms and uh, particles, uh, physics at the smallest scales and also like galaxies and planets and suns and stars and physics at the highest scales. So this is indeed a, a theory that, that, accounts for what we observe, like, at any scale, like, from the most massive things that we can imagine to the smallest things that we can imagine, and everything in between. So these theories are exceedingly complex. And yet, they can be boiled down into these simple concepts, like 16 equations to describe our reality, essentially.
0: Mm. So then what application does this unified field theory have to moving uh,
1: megaliths? So what this seems to imply is that we, we have pursued our physics and our science from, like I said, from a very specific direction. We, we know about certain, certain ideas. And actually, um, when I took physics in university, I, I was very um, disillusioned by the specialization in physics so when you become a physicist in university you end up becoming a nuclear field phys- physicist or a particle physicist or a electromagnetic field physicist and you know and or, uh, so you end up with a very very narrow track and to me that seemed like the the opposite um method the would be required to really have a, have a, have a grand theory of everything. Uh, because in order to, to develop such a theory, it, it, you do need to see how it connects to all these various fields that we think are unrelated. And uh, our civilization today does. Um, we separate and divide. Uh, we classify and we break things down. Uh, into all the little pieces and so it makes it very difficult to actually put that all together and find the common elements and all that. Uh, I believe there's a word for that uh, the, the gestalt. Uh, okay. Where the, yeah where the, the sum of the pieces uh, like the whole is more than the sum of the parts. So you could take a tree and study the leaves and study the bark and you know, cut it into pieces and and uh, look it down at the cells and look at the colors. But but you you at one point you have to take a step back and realize that all those parts make a tree. And, yeah. And seeing the whole is sometimes difficult when you're focused on all the little parts.
0: Yeah. And it must have been very disheartening as a young man going – to a university and having an open mind and then feeling as though you, you needed to specialize or narrow down your field.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Something that one of the things that I heard was Physic- physicists know everything there is to be discovered and there's nothing left but uh, observation and recording. And, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, so are,
0: that's not a good way of looking at things, is it? I mean, it's not innovative at all and it, it doesn't encourage further research and investigation into the universe.
1: No, and, and people um, seem to have this, this broad trust in the scientific community that, that these people are out there and they're working on solving the world's problems and, you know, developing new medicines and new sources of, of energy and the reality is that this is not the case, that um, these scientists are, are paid uh, by the government or by the school, mm. and they don't get paid to research whatever they want. They get paid to research what they are paid to research. And if, if you try to go down certain roads or research certain fields, you just will not receive funding for that if, if it's not considered In the mainstream and in the best interests of the uh the parties funding the project uh there won't be a project and there won't be science in those fields so Mm -hmm. so we 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 tend to upkeep the the status quo they they keep along the same tracks and stuff like that and everyone as far as i'm concerned ends up down the same dead ends uh that all the generations before have gone down
0: yeah and and I've heard about this a lot recently as well, and it, it is definitely an issue within the universities and within the uh, scientific communities. Um, we're not we're not finding out anything new if we assume that we already know everything. And there's, I mean, clear, we still haven't even uh, figured out how they moved and how they cut these these megaliths. So we clearly don't know everything there is to know.
1: Oh right. So so we were talking a bit about. Um, the case for the UFO, uh, in the Philadelphia experiment. Um, there's a scientist spoken of in there, uh, called, uh, Morris K Jessup. And Mm -hmm. he wrote this book, uh, called the case for the UFO. And, uh, if you're interested in the subject of UFOs, I highly recommend this book. It is absolutely a very scientific, uh, evaluation of this phenomenon. He discusses events for hundreds of years. And, uh, Uh, And comes to the conclusion that a lot of this stuff, there is only one real explanation that covers all that and that there is some sort of extraterrestrial life involved, uh, like a higher intelligence um, that we're not readily familiar with. Uh, What's interesting about the case for the UFO is it was actually uh, um, classified by the government um, and they released a copy of it. uh, that had a bunch of annotations in it. So uh, apparently Morris K. Jessup received a copy of his book, and as if, it was as if it had been passed between three people, and they had written a bunch of comments in the margins about his ideas and that. And uh, the comments that were written uh, appeared to express like a, a, an uh, insider knowledge about all these subjects that he was talking about, as if they'd had experience with that, and they knew exactly what the answers were uh, and hinted at it. Yeah. So one of the annotations, uh, it describes um, how uh, the ancients discovered the principles of levitation. And uh, the story, uh, yeah, so the story goes that, uh, uh, civilization uh, uh, some time ago it doesn't give dates or anything like that uh, had built a large uh, uh, stone monument uh, upon a temple uh, a circular stone they, they say for all they know it might have been a magnetic stone a lodestone
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, w- what had happened is due to the location uh, of this rock by some remarkable chance uh, it was struck by lightning and when the the builders came back to the site or came to see you know the damage that was caused by this uh they discovered the stone was essentially floating in the air wow so they they studied this and uh went on from this like chance event and developed this as a science and this was the initial kind of what would you call it um You know, the initiating event that led to this, this new civilization, Uh, they, they use this technology to develop a method to move stone and work stone, uh, all based based on this uh, initial event. Yeah.
0: That's a remarkable story. And I wonder, I mean, Amy, you're, you're the physicist, you're the expert. So I, I wonder how they did that. Were, were they lining up the different energy fields in the earth and then coupled with the, the lightning strike somehow? That, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> there's, there is some science behind this, actually there, this isn't a completely uh, unreasonable idea. Um, something interesting in the book is they actually mention a, uh, a more modern interpretation of the effect uh, they they kind of uh, hint that if you took 324 magnets and attached them to a common plate of metal and then they and you do something to it and uh, <laughs> it's interesting because the this is blacked out in the book so the the government seemed to think it was a uh, Something that they didn't want anyone else to know, and it was actually redacted.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, You do something to this plate of magnets, and they'll say it in short, it'll float in the air, all 900 pounds of it. And uh, it's actually a relatively simple thing. Like, uh, we could probably try this. And I think, based on uh, many of the other comments in the book, uh, talking about lightning uh, striking these holes or nodes or vortices in the magnetic field and lightning striking this stone and causing it to levitate likely the redacted part of this one note is that it mm-hmm. was uh it's being struck by lightning or highly energized
2: yeah so,
1: so we we can as a as a scientist and a physicist and someone with quite a strong knowledge of magnetism and electric fields and the reactions thereof, we can analyze this and we can consider, um, what would happen, uh, if such a case, um, was created. And in all honesty, there has been very little investigation. Um, there's very few papers, uh, regarding these types of orientations of magnets and metal and energizing it with such high voltage as a lightning bolt uh, mm. pardon me one second <laughs> I'm not used to talking so much
0: <laughs> that's okay um, That that is absolutely fascinating and I wonder I, I mean it goes back to what you were saying earlier about scientific research is essentially um, are paid to research the fields they want. So perhaps that explains why there's not a lot of uh, research or publications out there. Um, but I'm still curious to know, though, how you think they cut the stone because we've touched on uh, levitation and highly energised uh, rocks. How, how do you think they still got all of that, the tonnes and tonnes of stone that you were talking about earlier out, out of the stone? And, you know, where did it go? Did it, did it come from the same formation, same structure? Um, did so, it appear
1: somewhere yeah. else in the earth? So, uh, yeah, I'm going to try and tie a little bit of what I'm talking about here. I uh, I, I see appear to jump from subject to subject, but uh, there is some connections between what I'm describing. So uh, in the case for the UFO, uh, these annotations, uh, they refer to a tool uh, called the force cutter. And they say the force cutter was actually uh, a development uh from this technology uh, that these people became experts at force field technology of using some sort of field uh, to create forces and uh, manipulate matter so they had a tool which could quite easily at the same time actually be used to lift a stone or actually uh, cut the stone away and when we look at some of these ancient sites in uh, in Peru and uh, Bolivia, and even all over the world, um, a, a common description is that it, it looks like they cut these stones like butter. That they they had some sort of tool that they they essentially just mm-hmm. cut into the stone as if it was soft, as if it was if as if it was melted or or not as hard. And so, we can consider that that there may have been uh, a device uh, that was actually technologically quite simple. Um, in a sense, maybe, um, these are the, the basis of our, of our myths of magic wands and magic words and, you know, the flying on brooms even, and, and these sorts of stories, um, that go, uh, go back, uh, to a very ancient time, uh, even the uh, again, a lot of the stories regarding the movement of these rocks, uh, they refer to them being walked, or they were marched into place uh, to the sound of music and the sound of of uh, some sort of vibration and things like that. So, mm. so there is references to some other sort of technology involved. And
0: Yeah. Um, and so, what do you think this force cutter was? I mean, it, Talking about all the different stories, um, it sounds like it might have been some kind of magical wand or some kind of device where the energy could be channeled through that device to then transfer energy to the rocks and have them, you know, march into place.
1: Sure. So again, uh, back to the to this book uh, and the unified field theory, uh, mm. there was uh, references that uh, in our society uh, we are um, quite have quite mastered electromagnetism and we have uh generators which will use magnetic fields and the the rotation of uh physical force uh to generate electricity so we use the power of a waterfall or something like that uh steam uh to force a turbine to turn Mm
0: -hmm. against
1: a magnetic field and that's how we produce electricity and you have to realize that this this generation process that we're using right now it is essentially the defining factor of our civilization uh, without electrical generation on a industrial scale that we have right now uh we would be candles and oil lamps and uh, in the dark ages for all purposes and this is a fairly recent discovery actually uh uh Maybe 150 years old. Yeah. Uh, the, so, in in the grand scheme of things, uh, what has defined us as a advanced civilization is is just this means of generating uh, electricity, and then again, we can transmit this electricity from place to place and turn it back into motion with electric motors and and these mechanisms, so we have fans and elevators and even cars that all use this principle, right? It's our transportation and, uh, and power distribution. Uh, we use these motors in our factories uh, to produce goods and it, it, it is a very defining feature. Now, electromagnetism, uh, I'm gonna get a little bit technical here. These fields are actually Um, have a relationship and it's almost a 90 degree relationship. So uh, uh, you can think of uh, three dimensions in reality. Uh, We live in a three-dimensional world. We have up and down and left and right and front and back. And we can associate uh, these fields um, with these dimensions actually. So we can have an electric field actually we can call it in the up and down direction. And this is the force of electricity. And we can apply the magnetic field in the front and back direction. Um, So this is, we could call it the north and south on the earth. And you you can actually think about this uh, where you sit right now. So in your chair, um, you have up and down and this is actually the electrical force. There's a huge Uh, electrical gradient we call it between the sky and the ground Uh, you can see that as lightning and um, various other effects Uh, and this has been measured and it's actually quite hard uh, large it's quite unbelievable but it's almost uh, 200 volts of electricity between your head and your feet uh, when you're standing on the surface of the earth and this is something not commonly talked about
0: Um, no I had no idea
1: no, I and I've never had that before. Yeah. And uh, surprisingly enough, uh, uh, so 90 degrees to that. So in the, the front and back direction, uh, if you were to face say the North pole and the South pole, you, you're exposed to this m- magnetic field as well. And you're aware of that you can get a compass and point it to the North pole mm. and see that there is indeed uh, some sort of magnetic force involved. Um, related I can throw in that that the pyramid is orientated north and south like that
2: mm. and
1: uh, we see that these these two two directions the up and down and the front and back are related to each other and there is this defining field at work there and furthermore uh because we're three dimensional we have to think about the left and the right and In the left and right direction is actually the motion of the Earth. So the Earth actually rotates. uh, Mm -hmm. I can't think of it now. It's like east to west, I guess you could say. Um, Mm -hmm. The Earth actually rotates west to east, but uh, we see everything rotate east to west. Uh, Something like that. I probably have it backwards, of course. (laughs) Spot here, but yeah. So there, there is this predominant principle in nature that all, all there is these three forces or three fields defining our reality and this ties back into this unified field theory that there is a, is a fundamental explanation for our reality and defining forces and fields that define that so where I tie this into this device uh, this method they used to work stone Whereas we have, like I said, our civilization is defined by a thorough understanding of the electric and magnetic properties of of the world. Uh, This civilization, they may have had a better understanding of a different side of this triangle. Uh, They maybe knew the physical force side of it and the magnetic side of it more than they knew the electrical side of it. And likewise, when they developed this to a high degree Uh, they had a way to transmit energy uh, power their civilization but it wasn't necessarily electrical energy like that we use in our society they had maybe a vibrational energy or a a sonic energy you could say or or even some sort of highly advanced magnetic energy or something that they were using uh, as the basis for their civilization
0: Wow I don't even know what to say to that I mean that is just so so interesting I don't even know what to ask I mean there's just so much I'm sitting here thinking oh my gosh I want to ask all these different questions but I don't want to interrupt you either (laughs) so I've got about 10 questions written down from like half an hour ago so you've discussed the electromagnetic fields I want to move now to magnetic resonance and what applications this could have to everyday life. Would you mind explaining this and perhaps telling listeners about Nikola Tesla's experiment and what he discovered?
1: Sure. So Nikola Tesla is a remarkable man. Uh, one of my, one of my idols, absolutely a fascinating guy. I built some Tesla coils over the years and experimented uh, fascinating stuff, but uh, people don't really realize like um how remarkable this fellow was they seem to focus on his uh eccentricities and things like this mm. and uh, they're really kind of missing the point so you may not know this but when our i i've touched on how our society is fundamentally a, an electrical society this is a big the foundation of our civilization or a, a, it plays a huge role in it if not you know the most important role in it so prior to the industrialization of electricity uh, there was a few uh, businesses uh, using direct current power uh, to try and transmit electricity and
0: the problems with
1: direct current is that it doesn't travel very far along wires and you end up needing uh, very very uh, generating stations to essentially generate this power over and over again so so you can only actually go uh, a a few kilometers five ten kilometers before you need another power station or something. So, so if we'd stuck with this direct current system, uh, we would have had uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of generating stations like everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's also very difficult to transform and to utilize for, for um, industrial motors and that sort of thing. So Tesla came along and uh, he, he was working with the alternating current. So direct current, you can think of just like a, a water flowing in a pipe. It flows from point A to point B. Uh, alternating current is a little different. Alternating current is the water flowing in one direction and then quickly reversing direction and flowing in the opposite direction. So alternating current actually does that. It alternates. It flows one way, then it flows the other way. And our modern electrical system is based on this. Uh, The the vibration or the alternation actually happens about 60 times a second, uh, sometimes 50, uh, depending on where you live. Um, This is common all over over the world. Now, uh, this allows uh, the electricity to be changed into higher voltages and lower voltages and and uh power motors and it's a much more efficient process Um, so tesla proposed this and there was actually what was called the war of the currents and um the the businessmen that had built these direct current distribution centers uh, they opposed tesla they didn't want to lose all this money they invested and they explained how alternating current was dangerous so actually thomas edison that uh, you can look this up he actually electrocuted an elephant with alternating <laughs> current to prove how dangerous it was and
0: wow okay this
1: is the, the the birth of the electric chair at this time and all these mm-hmm. sorts of things actually yeah so so uh, eventually uh, just due to the sheer improvements in efficiency alternating current easily won out it had it had too many advantages over direct current that it could, could not come into play. And so that is the system that powers our civilization. We have an alternating current electric grid. We have these generators and generating stations, and they transmit the power, and there's wires everywhere. We run wires from all the generating stations, wires into your home uh, to bring you this electricity so you can run your fridge and your computers and,
0: yeah. and,
1: and all this stuff. So um, in Tesla's investigations, uh, he didn't stop there. Uh, Tesla uh, was all about increasing human energy. He wanted to advance civilization. He wanted to give us the the best system there was. He he wanted to give everybody all the power that they needed uh, because he knew uh, as a civilization, if we had a uh, an efficient source of energy. Um, It would advance all of humankind, actually. Uh, Everyone would benefit. Uh, So he he did not stop with alternating current. He investigated further, and he actually found another system. Uh, And this one, um, we can call it his world wireless system. And this was something different. This was uh, a system that did not require wires uh, to send the power everywhere. And now I'm gonna gonna get a little technical.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> again, go for it. Uh, go for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so when we think of wireless today, everyone thinks about their Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi is wireless, and this is a radio technology. And when you hear about Tesla. And his world wireless system, the the, the common explanation is that Tesla was trying to transmit power with like radio waves and with wireless technology where he was sending the power out into the air and you would pick it up with like, rather than a radio in your house, you would pick it up with like a set. And uh, this is, this is just not true. Um, The ability to transmit energy wirelessly is actually terribly inefficient. Um, It just, it just doesn't work. Um, You can buy now uh, wireless charging for your phone and Mm. it essentially requires you to put your phone right on top of the wireless charger. You don't have to plug it in, but Mm. it has to be right there.
0: Yeah, you know, I actually is, had one of those, and it was, it was absolutely terrible. You had to have it on the right spot, you had to wiggle it around a little bit, and then you'd wake up in the morning and your phone, you know, wasn't fully charged. So I ended up taking it back to the store because it just, it wasn't effective, like you're saying.
1: Yeah, so, so the scientists are absolutely right that, that this radio concept of transmitting energy uh, just doesn't work and so they say oh tesla he he was made a mistake and he didn't know what he was talking about and and uh this is where he became eccentric and they
2: mm-hmm. they kind of
1: delegate him to uh to uh you know uh, as a fa- as a failure in in that sense yeah. his world, world wireless was dismantled in that so they completely misunderstand what he was doing um so in fact um our our current electrical system um the the system is grounded so every uh electrical generating station actually has a huge grid of wires uh buried beneath the ground Uh, underneath it it's absolutely massive um your home is also uh has a rod actually driven into the ground uh near the uh electrical panel in a lot of cases uh there's a grounding wire uh, on all the power things, and this is in place as a safety feature mm-hmm. in our in our current system. If there's a break in the wire, it will direct the electricity into the ground rather than rather than starting a fire.
0: Yeah. And that's what know. the safety switches do, isn't it? If you trip the yeah. the system in your home, the safety switch goes off and grounds it into the into that rod into the ground.
1: Yeah, and and it and it prevents it from arcing or causing a a fire in the wires going somewhere where we where we don't want it to go
2: basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So our system actually uses the earth uh as part of our electrical grid, and we use it as a sink in a sense. Uh it's and and in electrical theory they actually call it an infinite sink. They they figure that the earth you can just dump electricity in there and it will eat it all up and there's not a problem there and it doesn't do anything. Um, so Tesla um was actually discovered that this wasn't the case. Um, that if you hammered the earth uh, with a very powerful electrical impulse, uh, the earth would vibrate. That, that impulse would actually um, travel like a wave uh, across the surface of the earth. And uh, if powerful enough, it would actually like hit the opposite poles and return back. Uh, wow. So he could, in a sense, uh, send an electrical pulse uh, all the way around the Earth and have it returned back to his back to his tower. And, it's uh, almost
0: like an alternating current <coughs> through the Earth, then.
1: Yeah, in a in a sense, uh, yeah, it 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 is similar. It has similarities between alternating current. Um, it also actually has similarities between direct current. He's actually hitting the Earth with kind of a single pulse in one direction, and then waiting for that. Pulse to return, so uh, it it is actually a kind of almost a combination of both both systems. Mm -hmm. So when Tesla uh, talks about wireless, uh, he actually specifically refers to using Earth as the wire. So he's he's not talking about sending power through the air at all. He is talking about hitting the Earth uh, with a very large electrical impulse. And then being able to tap that energy uh, anywhere on the globe. And he actually did numerous experiments to prove that this was possible. And his world wireless tower that he was building uh, was going to apply this. So you could basically, uh, rather than running wires from the generating station to your home, uh, you would basically have a coil uh, in your backyard or something to that effect and you would hook your house into that and you would have power uh, that, that would be coming from the ground and vibrating that coil and that would allow you to, to tap that energy. So this is a remarkable system. Uh, Tesla would actually find it comical how much wire we have actually <laughs> ran around the world because yeah
0: it's
1: not required. Can now,
0: can I, sorry sure. to interrupt you. Can I just make sure that I've I've understood this correctly and as, as well, um, you know, for the listeners as well? Um, so what you're saying is that Tesla discovered that he could distribute energy through the Earth itself using the Earth as a wire and therefore replacing the current wires that we have. And the current alternating system that we have is the opposite of what the Earth would do if it was acting as a wire.
1: Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, his. His wireless system is, in all sense of it, the opposite of how we do it today. Yeah. Ra- yeah, rather than using the earth as a sink and the return for the electrical and using the wires to transmit it, we do the reverse. We use the earth as the transmitting. And in the case of his tower, the air actually is what provides the return path. So he's not actually not sending power through the air, but the error is the how the power gets back, and this is how you get around this this inefficiency. And you'll find that uh, this is absolutely this is a remarkable concept. And
0: That's, why are we not using this? What yes,
1: yeah, <laughs> so that is an excellent question. So, if you would ask most of the of the general consensus people, I think that the thing is is that. Um, The reason that this didn't happen is that uh, Tesla had just convinced a lot of uh, wealthy men, uh, businessmen Mm -hmm. to invest heavily in his alternating current system. They just had this war from DC to AC. Mm -hmm. And, and then he came along a few years later and he said, okay, no, no, actually AC is no good either. Got this even better system now. Mm. And these businessmen had invested you know millions of dollars and seen that they could charge for the alternating current and control the distribution of it and essentially make money off of it and they were not clear how you could make money off of electricity that was readily available all over the world and uh but that is the big difference uh, between uh, a person like Tesla, who is a true uh, humanitarian, mm. and looking at um, ways to benefit society as a whole, uh, benefit all people, uh, versus the idea of making a profit and benefiting yourself.
0: Yeah, it sounds like another example of capitalism getting in the way of a really good technology.
1: So... Yeah, for sure. So you know don't get me started on this but (laughs) but, uh economics has limitations capitalism capitalism has limitations the the goal of capitalism and uh economics is to make a profit uh it has nothing to do with benefiting people it has nothing to do with uh whether it's healthy or good for the environment uh it has to do with how much money you can make off of it it from an economic point of view, it makes sense to make something that breaks every year and somebody has to buy a new one. Um, it makes sense to keep people unhealthy so you can sell more pills and make more money. Uh, there's def- definitely some uh, some negative uh, things about economics, yes
0: yeah and it's such a shame that so many companies have their provision for obsolescence on their products because you you do need to go and upgrade your your phone or whatever it might be because things just they just don't last and like my grandma used to say they just don't make them like they used to
1: so <laughs> no they sure don't because there's no money in that yeah so yeah, um
0: so. you dropped a little. Uh, a golden nugget earlier that i've been wanting to touch on you mentioned that you've been making these you've made some of these coils yourself so and what you're suggesting is that i could potentially have a coil in my backyard and not have to pay for electricity so you know are you making these coils
1: no so so the the thing is is that you you would still need a generator his okay. his warden clip tower was still powered from a generating plant um so there would still be a, like a main point uh, or maybe multiples of these to, to kind of keep it working um, or backups and that sort of thing. Um, the, the The advantage is just that you, you don't have, have the wires and that. So you could put a coil in your backyard and uh, there is ways to extract some energy from the air and that sort of thing. But without that central transmitter, without that central machine, uh, Setting up that powerful vibration in the earth. There's there's not The power readily available available for you there at least that's the theory So I'm gonna throw another little little uh, bit of information out there Mm -hmm. Uh, when Tesla was experimenting with this system and pumping this energy into the ground um, He actually found that there were there was already energy there there already was vibrations electrical vibrations along the surface of the earth and the the, the earth as a as a wire uh was basically all, already had power in it um hmm. he he actually describes uh an experiment uh where he says consider a thermocouple now a a, a thermocouple um is a device that can generate uh, electricity uh, from a difference in heat. Uh, mm. So uh, the Russians actually used to have like a lantern and there's a bunch of prongs that would stick into the flame in the lantern and the other end of these prongs would extend out from the lantern into the cool air around it mm. and, and it would produce a sufficient amount of power they could run a little radio or, or a light or something like that okay. um, from it. Yeah. So, Tessa proposed that uh, you could, in theory, uh, have a thermocouple uh, stuck in the ground, uh, which is quite hot, uh, especially as you go deeper into the earth, and the other end of it extending out into space uh, around the earth, which is minus 200 degrees. It's like, you know, uh, one of the coldest regions that we're aware of, Yeah. and he said, in theory, that thermocouple uh, would produce indefinite power <clears throat> it's extracting the energy from the difference between uh cold space and uh the hot earth. um obviously this is not practical uh such a thing would be absolutely enormous and yeah. could, not, could not build this but he said it it, it it was not the the physical problem that was really the issue what he was pointing out is that there is uh, a vast amount of energy available um, based on this difference between the, the hot and the cold of the earth, and also as I pointed out, there's a uh, an electrical difference between space and the ground of the earth. Um, so he was, although the, the the reality of a of a giant thermocouple is not practical, uh, he st- states well, is not there other means. By which we could utilize this energy by which we could tap this energy and he talks about hooking his his systems into the wheelworks works of nature hooking his system into these natural forces of nature uh, to provide uh, energy uh, to humanity and so i think you should see at this point that we are actually kind of tying back into some of these other subjects that i've taught that yeah. possibly there is other methods to power a civilization. Uh, do we know what these methods that Tesla was describing? Do we know what they looked like? Uh, we've never seen them. We we don't use this this concept yet today in our in our civilization. Yeah. Is it not impossible that a civilization in the past had built these types of of machines or or systems by which they could extract this natural energy and hmm. use it for civilization
0: yeah and, and if it's a already vibrating the earth's already vibrating with electricity and it's a natural occurrence i mean there's so many different applications that we could be using in in the world today the significance of that is just enormous
1: yeah so this this again ties um further into uh you know i, I briefly mentioned that, that that we're aware that the pyramid the great pyramid mm. specifically i guess is arranged uh, north and south and many of these other sites are arranged thusly and and, and we see these uh pyramid structures are are quite common uh, all over the world uh from these ancient periods in time mm. so um there is already a few people that have considered like maybe these pyramids are some sort of generating generating station uh, maybe they they do produce some of power and uh so you know that the, the common reply is well what would they do with all that electricity but uh, but the real question is well was it really electricity that they were generating you know that that like i said that's only one of these fields that is available to us uh, not only that they could be Generating some sort of a magnetic field or also some sort of a, a mechanical field, a, a vibration, a, a vibrational field. And so, um, interestingly, these pyramids or uh, these structures um, could have been fundamental to the actual process of working stone. Uh, they would have had to build these to power their tools that they used to build more structures and that. And so this all kind of ties back in that there is some sort of
2: yeah. um,
1: other energy involved in their in their civilization and their methods to work stone. They used stone structures uh, to harness the energy that they required to build bigger and bigger stone structures.
0: Wow! I think you've tied it all together now. It's it's been really interesting listening to listening to you build up the foundations of all these these complex tex- technologies, and I think now you've just really all tied it all together for me, and it's just all it's just all come together for me, and I think it just sunk in, and I'm just sitting here in absolute awe, um, you know, when you talked about how they might have been using the pyramids as well to make other structures or potentially like use it as a conductor to channel the the electricity through and and I'm thinking back to when you were talking about levitation and is that am I I getting this right or am I I yeah absolutely
1: yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. so I'm I'm glad I'm able to articulate the 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 concept because it is it is very complex and it is actually a, a field that encompasses a lot of subjects and it and it's hard to explain this in a short amount of time it, it really is people people want the uh the quick quick summary and uh for a subject is as, as uh complex and uh far-reaching as this mm. uh, it, it is just really hard to touch on all all the connections in a short amount of time so i'm trying to kind of just uh, give you a bit of the, the whirlwind tour here i guess
0: yeah a bit of a teaser for today and i'm sure we've only just touched on the subject and can you tell me if i've got this right because i want to make sure that i've understood it and and the listeners are uh, you know i'm sure they've understood this but (laughs) perhaps it's just for my benefit so what you're suggesting is that the pyramids are being used as a sort of uh conductor for the energy to go through and then they can they perhaps were able to direct that energy um, to whatever structures they were building and use it to um, kind of like uh, electrically charge up a stone if they wanted to. So use it to direct, the, let's say, for example, the lightning to the pyramid or is that because you were talking about how earlier how the lightning um, charged up the stones and then they were able to get the the other stone to levitate and then move it. Um, so i mean i don't have the, the right terminology or the right words to describe this and it's only just formulating my mind because is that am i on the right track or
1: yeah you are so it, it, it's not necessarily they were uh, an electrical society so they okay. they did not have electricity like we we use it today uh therefore focus was a force field technology and you can you can best think of this uh, like I said we, we, we have completely basically ignored this field of science um, you, you can think of it almost like a sound technology as a as a vibration technology um, sound is a very uh, limiting explanation because uh, sound as we describe it uh, is associated with uh, hearing human hearing and humans, and animals can actually only hear a very uh a very limited range of frequencies.
2: Mm. So
1: I think a human is maybe uh 20 cycles a second up to 20,000 cycles a second. So mm. this is obviously not the full range of vibration that occurs in the universe. And so I would s- say uh um, uh, to give you a little hint, I mean, I'm kind of just kind of jumping uh, over a lot here, but um, there's a f- field uh, called piezoelectric uh, electrics, uh, piezoelectricity, and uh, y- you may be familiar with these. Uh, you can buy a lighter for lighting your stove or your cigarettes, I yes. Um, Where you click it and it creates a little spark and that's what lights the flame Uh, Mm. some barbecues barbecues rely on this technology yeah, Yeah, so um, This is a special crystal that they've developed that actually has this um, Surprisingly enough uh, uh, piezoelectrics is uh, in every single computer in every single electronic uh, product Uh, there's actually a tiny crystal um that they use uh because it vibrates uh when electrically charged it vibrates at a very set frequency and that is actually what's used to set the clock uh in computers that's what times uh, all the signals inside a computer they have
0: okay so
1: so there is a, a a technology actually uh it we do use this to a certain extent in our civilization of uh this vibration uh related to electricity a mechanical vibration that's related to electricity so uh we're we're aware that uh even that light uh comes from the sun um and we can see that and we can feel the the heat rays of the sun and that Mm -hmm. but uh we don't actually in modern science uh discuss what kind of forces come out of the sun like physical forces like the sun is basically this giant exploding ball of fire in the sky. And we would say that it's silent, that we, we can't hear that. And mm. this is true because uh, a sound wave uh, can't propagate through the air. But it is not true to say that there's no force uh, that comes off the sun, a physical force. Like I say, uh, in nature, there's these, these three sides. Uh, there's an electrical field and a magnetic field. Um, so I was talking about the up and down and uh, the north and south for the magnetic. And the third field is this is this force field. The third field is actually the the motion, the the rotation of the Earth. It's actually the the movement. The uh, the movement is very very important. So so these people were I would say if I was to describe. Whereas we're electrical civilization. They were a, a society uh, where their civilization was based on movement, based on the, the force of motion. Uh, they understood that far better than we do. Um, this this sound uh, uh, in nature, the, uh, the the physical forces. Sorry, I, I feel like I'm straying a bit here. It's uh, No, no, it's, it's okay. It's,
0: uh,
1: yeah, I'm describing a bit the, uh, the unknown there.
0: So if they were aware of that, that physical force, then what were they able to use it for?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, that would be, uh, I, uh, I don't know. They could uh, use it, like I said, for construction, for their building yeah. materials. Uh, they obviously used it for art. Uh, the, some of these statues and temples are absolutely fantastic. They are uh, just re- re- remarkable. Um what would be the end result of that? I uh, would say that they uh, could have even eventually developed it to the point where they could use it as a form of transportation. Wow. Uh, this leads into uh, another big picture that um, possibly, uh, although we are highly advanced and we, we know a lot about uh, a certain scientific fields, um perhaps this actually this science of vibration and this science of force is actually the, the natural field that all civilizations, uh, strive to. And, uh, so it's almost as if, um, when a civilization uh, comes across this, uh, this effect of, of, uh, working stone and using stone, we have this readily available, uh, building material all around us, uh, uh, you know, we don't need to chop down trees and mm. and things. We have a stone, which is essentially, uh, you know, a non-polluting material uh, to build buildings. I, I mean, you're aware that some of these structures are thousands of years old and still
2: yeah.
1: standing today. So, yeah. obviously, from a, from the standpoint of a a good material and a and a good t- technology to develop this is uh, pretty remarkable
0: yeah it, it certainly is it just sounds like if we were only able to relearn or rediscover these technologies and harness them that the world would be a very different place
1: yeah absolutely and so uh yeah in my life uh this is kind of uh what I came to realize is that you know, uh, where we're taught in our society that energy is scarce, where, uh, we dig out oil from the ground and this is how we power things. And,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's countries where their people are very poor because they don't have access to these resources or this energy and other countries are very wealthy because they have oil or whatever, but these are, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is just one way, uh, for a civilization to exist, uh, if we had maybe focused more on this other side and uh, maybe pursued more uh, Tesla's wireless system and, you know, were more open to that concept of benefiting humanity as a whole, uh, we would be in a much uh, better situation than we are today. Uh, we wouldn't be fighting over resources and uh, we would be able to produce... You know, electrify the deserts, uh, you know, to pump water and, you know, live anywhere in the world and uh, freely travel. Uh, I, I feel like I, I would have liked to have gone and discussed a bit more about uh, how all this relates to uh, transportation of a civilization. And uh, let me give you the kind of the, the, a, a bit more of the bigger picture here. Yeah, sure. So we, we started off with uh, some discussion of the unified field theory, uh, that there's one field um, in nature. And uh, this is um, mentioned actually in the Philadelphia Experiment book and, and others that I've talked, that they talk about this, this field of force, this, this one field, as being the, the, the primordial field, the, the primary field. And so the the electric field and the magnetic field are actually uh, more complex versions of that. So we we start with this primordial field and uh, all the other complexity kind of comes, comes out from that. Um, When we, when we dig into this a bit further, uh, we start to see that maybe um, in the universe, there is a, a natural tendency for the this field and you could say even the knowledge of this field to become apparent to a civilization or an intelligence Mm. so that civilizations possibly anywhere in the universe would have a very high likelihood of discovering this and and developing it and using it Um, i would say there's a pretty good likelihood that most planets have stone on them. Uh, most planets have this same energy emanating out of them. And this, this could go uh, much deeper than most people realize. And so this is something that I uh, struggled with for a long time. Uh, we, you know, we talk about going down the rabbit hole. Um, mm-hmm. Scientists that have investigated this uh, very, very famous mathematicians, uh, Albert Einstein included, uh, e- even we could say Nikola Tesla. Uh, when you're researching this field, uh, you eventually hit a bit of a wall. Uh, when you're looking at it from a purely mathematical and scientific perspective, uh, you eventually realize that there's maybe some limitations there to that understanding. And I, and I, i mentioned this that if we are talking about a of a a field of everything or a or a theory of everything uh we we must include life in that uh and not only life but concepts like mind and i would even add concepts like spirituality so Mm -hmm. so when you Consider that that there may be a one force in the universe that pervades the entire universe and it and it leads to uh, the potential for Civilization to develop and uh, to develop a technology that allows them to To build massive stone structures and and advance um, And even to the point where it, it, it leads into this technology of levitation and um, uh, and with high advancement, even most likely space propulsion, and yeah, yeah so we we end up with uh, a natural progression um, of knowledge that allows uh, uh, an intelligence to not only advance their civilization, but leads directly to the same concepts that are required for space propulsion and eventually maybe even spreading from planet to planet. So we we could almost speculate that in our universe there is a a field or a force at work. I I would say uh, an infinite intelligence at work that uh, has underlaid the universe with, uh, with a mechanism by which intelligence can grow and spread and evolve uh, throughout the entire universe and, and advance to various degrees in that so um surprisingly enough these these mathematicians they they hit this wall uh many of them have actually gone um almost to the point of madness i believe there are some movies about some very famous mathematicians that were were uh you know ended up in, a, in asylums for certain periods in their lives and stuff like that
2: yeah,
1: yeah and, that, and that, that is you you start to realize that there is and I came to this realization myself that there is the necessity of uh, any unified field theory to include these concepts of mind and spirituality yeah. uh, in order to to complete the conclusion in order to cover all, all the bases. So if I was to say uh, what a civilization would look like uh, after thousands or even tens of thousands of years of development, uh, I would say they would have uh, a science of spirituality. Um, there's a seems to be a big push right now of a uh, of, uh, contradiction where uh, religion is considered a fairy tale and, uh mm. Science is the, there's the savior and, and the only truth. And and I think what, what people who have really, really looked into this, uh, come to the conclusion that those two concepts are not separate, that, that, um, that you have to uh, consider that there, that there is more to this, uh, to life, more to science, um, you know, we, we, we have a field of medicine and we have a field of physics and yet, uh, although they use components from each other's field, there isn't really a drive to connect those, to understand that, that the laws of physics may play a role in society. Uh, they may play a role in spirituality, uh, in mind. And so, uh, these are big concepts. Concepts. This is this is definitely something that our society has not spent a lot of time investigating. Yeah, yeah are-
0: absolutely. And and it sounds as though if we were from what you're what you're saying is that if we were to understand these concepts um, and continue our you know study and research in these areas, that it may actually inform our understanding. Of the divine or of the spiritual realms that you know we all we all have to accept or question in our lives at some point and and the answers may may be out there perhaps we we're just not looking in the right areas or we do, we haven't researched these areas enough
1: yeah we we are we are very divided uh, uh, religion has caused wars and uh, you know people Fight over uh, their belief structures. I mean, if you're in a in a room of people, there's a good chance that <laughs> there's 20 different religions in a room of 20 different people, and and uh, you ask each one, um, you know, which is right, and they'll all tell you that theirs is right, and uh, it, it, it's a very difficult uh, situation. Um, the only real solution for that is if we can if we can scientifically define that, if we can, if we can lay down uh, some undeniable facts in that respect, that that we could prove those concepts, um, Mm. I think that would do a lot um, to uh, reduce the the disagreements and the separation. Uh, It would be a a step towards uh, uniting uh, humanity as a whole. Um, Sure.
0: And given your research and your understanding of everything that you've described today, what have you come to conclude? Uh, what, what are your beliefs?
1: Uh, I, I would like to I try to think positively. I, I don't <laughs> have a very positive outlook uh, uh, of the state of the world right now. Uh, I believe um, in our potential. Uh, I wish uh, people um, would realize that we're all, All part of one thing Uh, uh, we all feel what we we would like to ignore what happens on the other side of the world uh, that that, uh, you know that there is people starving and and uh, uh, we tend to kind of put that out of our minds but we we need to realize that we we do feel that we uh, we are all connected Um, we are all part of the same same forces Uh, we are all part of this one field um, by working together, uh, we could do phenomenal things um, if, if we put our resources together. Um, something I like to tell people is that uh, in the, in the I, I don't know if it's like this everywhere, but I mean, in, in, in Canada, where I live here, uh, each person has their own house for their family. Uh, we all have our own car, we all have our own lawnmower, our own refrigerator, our own you know, every person is the king of our own castle, and actually, this is a huge waste of resources. Uh, if if all of us pooled together, uh, rather than than trying to each be independent and all, all, fight our own battle for for you know the for all the wealth or
2: yeah. or whatever,
1: uh, even just in a small neighborhood, if uh, if a hundred families. Uh, pool together they could probably build their a uh, giant rec center and a, and a huge massive kitchen and uh, you know a, a massive garden and uh, and live a, a, at a much higher level in, of comfort you're uh, describing my utopia <laughs> yeah so yeah, this is i'm with you <laughs> yeah so and, and then the, the, this concept of this uh the the uh, the lie of scarcity of energy and and all this it it, it does almost seem to me uh, sometimes that there's a force kind of working against humanity uh, to uh, to keep us in this uh, in this degraded state I would call it that uh, people don't seem to realize uh, how powerful we really are uh, how much potential we really are uh, people tend to to be uh, a little bit uh, kept in the dark, almost, uh, kept in a box. Um, so, uh, again, you asked me about the, the, the purpose of my website. It was to uh, show people that there is a lot more out there, uh, than the, uh, than the box that we are that are kind of, uh, force fed, I would say even, um, by our system right now. Uh, I, I, I think almost that uh, it is, uh, not necessarily, uh, even one person that's that's causing this or even one family uh it's a system that's been perpetuated for a long time a bit like a uh, broken record uh we're a bit stuck yeah. in the groove and i uh, uh, not anyone because definitely has the power to break out of this it's something that we we would need to break out of this as a, as a whole um I like to think that if uh everyone in the world kind of all woke up and one day we were all just On the same wavelength uh, across the planet could change overnight.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, but uh, this is is a difficult thing. Uh, There's a lot of momentum uh, right now that would need to be uh, shifted into another direction. And unfortunately, uh, usually a lot of chaos has to happen um, to make that sort of a change, unfortunately.
0: Although... You know, there are lots of talks of wide-scale, large-scale revolutions and, and there's the uh, the protests happening worldwide at the moment. And, you know, it, it always starts with one person. And one of the things that I've found in this day and age is that it's so easy for people to sit at home, you know, they're the king of the castle, and then what actually motivates people to get up and go out into the streets and protest or... You know, whether it's a, a protest in the street or online, actually calling people to action and motivating them to get off of their couch, you know, with the individual online subscription, um, watching television. I mean, it's difficult to get people to care about an issue because with this, with so many uh, devices and technology at our fingertips, it's so easy just to sit at home and turn off the TV or switch the channel when you see something that you don't like or it's it's uncomfortable to watch.
1: Yeah, it is. And uh, people enjoy that that level of comfort. Uh, mm-hmm. change, is, change is scary. Uh, people don't know. Um, uh, people are afraid of the unknown. Uh, I mean, this is a, a pretty, pretty common thing. I, I think um, back in the day, uh, you know, uh, people um, clamor for the government uh, to have full disclosure on UFOs and and disclose this technology, and I don't think that the that the politicians that made those decisions to uh, suppress this kind of information, I don't think they were completely uh, foolhardy in, in in making those conclusions. I think I think that they're right. Uh, too much knowledge is a is a dangerous thing, um, and some people just are aren't ready. Uh, to take that step, right? So, so there's a lot of people that would even uh, uh, oppose a change. Uh, a lot of people would be um, opposed to losing their power, losing their position. Uh, some would feel that it wasn't beneficial to them or harmful to them, even.
0: Of course, but uh, but in this capitalist system where people are just thinking about the individual and the self and their power, um, you know, I mean, who gets to make those decisions about? what the general population should know. I mean if somebody's curious and they're ready for it and they want to know, why, why prevent that? It seems like one decision is, appro- is, is made that they deem appropriate for the mass masses of population across the world. Um, but what about all those people who, like yourself, like me who do want to know about you know uh, the UFOs or other civilizations in, in different areas of the galaxy? What about those people who are ready for it? Who gets who gets to and who should be making those decisions? And, and should there be anyone, government or organization or person who does get to make those decisions?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. that That is a little bit uh, out of my field. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I came at it. I, I can tell you uh, honestly uh, with absolutely zero doubt in my mind, uh, energy is not scarce. Uh, there is an energy... Uh, that would allow us to freely travel uh, between planets Um, there's an energy that could uh, be available to everyone freely uh, across the world Um, Of that I have no doubt Um, how to get from this point to that point I I just I, I can't answer that I don't know
0: yeah Well, Grant, thank you very much for explaining these deeply complex concepts, technologies and theories. It has been such an interesting conversation and you've put it in a way that is very easy to understand. So thank you. (laughs) I found this conversation remarkably interesting and fascinating. I I really don't want to wrap up the conversation, but I know we both have to go. Uh, So thank you.
1: No problem. I, I'm glad to talk. I'm, I, I appreciate the outlet to uh, share my ideas. I, I hope some benefit comes of it.
0: Me too. If listeners want to get in touch with you or go to your website, uh, how can they? How can they find
1: you? Uh, you can visit my website, uh, ovaltech.ca. O V A L T E C H uh, dot ca. Uh, and you can email me at oval at ovaltech.ca. And uh, surprisingly enough, I, as I said, uh, I don't get a lot of response on my website. So uh, I feel if people are willing to contact me, I have uh, a nothing but a, a nice response to, uh, to the interest.
0: Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for reaching out. I hope you have a have a good day. You too.
0: Thanks for listening. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast. Come on, give us five stars. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Inspector Rabbit Podcast.